thank you so much. You know, I'm going to get about a third of the way through and that third prayer request is going to come and we'll just stop and I hope that encourages you. It's not just you that forgets things. It's me too. So uh, the other day I was missing car keys and I found them in the fridge in the office. So you know that something's, something's wrong, okay? Something's wrong. Yeah, bring the prison in, guys. We've been speaking this month about climate change, and it's not temperature and it's not weather, but transforming spiritual climates. And we've given, and we have a God given authority as believers. We have the ability from God to go into, into one kind of climate and change the temperature, change the outlook, change the outcomes. We believe that there's always, there are ways to change climate personally for ourselves. Ways to shift and change climate for others. God has given us the ability to shift climates in families. I know that you probably don't have any difficulties in your family, but every once in a while something in our families rise up. And we just have to go and we have to pray and we have to determine that we're going to change the climate. There's ways to shift climate for churches and even for cities. We've been talking and we've mentioned it every time we've come to this to this subject that in Acts chapter 8, a man, a single man, goes into the city of, of, in Samaria and he sees a city that's full of darkness, full of fear, and it, he, Philip arrives and he changes the climate and it becomes known as the city that has great joy. He changed the climate. This morning we want to talk a little bit more about the equipment that we're given that is used to break down prison walls. This box has been our metaphor throughout the month. It represents prisons that people are held in. Places where the enemy brings them to and tries to keep them isolated. And uh, we, we've been speaking about an enemy that that not only isolates people, but wants to keep them away from God, from their tribe, and from their destiny. And so he attempts to, to keep people in prison, keep them in the dark of, of hopelessness, keep them in the cold of loneliness, in an attempt to neutralize them from being who they were destined to be. So this morning, we're going to be talking about songs and battering rams and other equipment used to break down prison walls, tools that God gives us to shift climates. I want you to take your Bibles, please, and turn with me to Acts chapter 16. I want to give you a bit of background. Paul and Silas have been trying to go to various cities to set up new church plants, but God has made it clear that these were not the destinations that he had in mind at this time. And finally, it becomes clear to them that they're supposed to be in the city of Philippi. They go there, there's good connections, there's good people that they meet, and things are really starting to happen. Doors open up, and people are finding Jesus. It's an exciting time, and, and it's a place of amazing, amazing opportunity and promise. 
And that's when, to a non-believer who's watching the story unfold, it, 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 it might seem that things start to fall apart. I want you to keep in mind that when you're in a place of obedience to God's Word, when, when you're discovering your purpose and when you're starting to fulfill it, when, when, when you're pushing the boundaries of, of what was thought and said to be pos possible, that's when you can expect opposition to arise and attempt to stop you. We go to our text. Acts chapter 16, verse 16. One day, Paul, Silas, and the team were going down to the place of prayer. They met a slave girl who had a spirit that enabled her to tell the future. She, she earned lots of money for her masters by telling fortunes. And she followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God, and they have come to tell you how to be saved. I want you to know that prayer meetings are some of the most dangerous places to be. Because you're coming together and you're standing before an all-powerful God and you're petitioning Him, requesting that He put a stop to the advance of evil, that, to, that He put a stop to darkness and the tyranny that's ruling and reigning in the world today. When you pray, you are walking on territory that's held by an enemy and you're calling on God to make that territory the territory of His and of His Son so that His Son can reign over it forever and ever and ever. It's dangerous work to be praying. Paul and Silas were praying for the life, were praying for the future, the destiny of this city. And in doing so, they had awakened enemy powers, and the enemy had sent a spiritual puppet to, to interrupt and interfere the, with the process. It's a, it's a sad picture. The, she's not called a woman, she's called a girl, indicating perhaps that she wasn't very old at all. She's, she's also described as a slave, someone who is owned by others, someone who works for them in order that they can grab the profits that she earns for them as her keepers. The power that this girl has is that she's enabled by a dark spirit to tell fortunes, to give details of, to people of what's up the road for them. She, she does it so well that she's making a lot of money for the people who have the title deed to her life and to her future. She's a slave of those people, but she's also a slave of an evil spirit that, that gives her supernatural abilities to do work that interferes and runs competition to what God is doing through Paul and Silas. This is one of the many places in Scripture that that describes a battle between darkness and light. Many places in the Bible where we're told that there is a kingdom of darkness ruled over by an evil taskmaster and a kingdom of light ruled over by God. In this passage, the kingdom of darkness has twice enslaved an innocent young woman and used her for degrading purposes. 
Men own her and demons use her for purposes contrary to God. She's in a very dark place. She's in a very hopeless prison. But Paul and Silas are on their way to prayer and they're going to, to rise up. They're going to, in strength, stand up and change the spiritual climate of the city. And they're going to start that process in the place of prayer. They're making ready to break open prison doors. So that people, many people, unknowing to them, including this young lady, can get free, can get out of the prison that they're being held in. But Paul and Silas encounter this young lady, and, and, and she comes up to them, and she starts shouting for no apparent reason, but she starts shouting out a truth in a, in a very unattractive way. We know the difference between attractive and unattractive. We, did you see the shoes that Dav- Davy was wearing? Like, those are attractive shoes. Those are beautiful shoes. Okay? I have shoes, but they need some polish and they need some help. And they're not attractive, okay? So there's this truth that this lady is saying, but she's saying it in a very unattractive way. She's screeching. She's shouting. She's... The the emphasis is on the tone. Instead of good news, this woman is saying something that is true, but saying it in an unattractive, offensive, run-and-hide kind of way. So, So here's what she's saying. These men are sent by and authorized by the Most High God to tell you how to get out of the prisons that you're locked up in. That's good news. But she's screeching it in such a horrible way that that it's making people look at what Paul and Silas are are doing and and thinking over there is some freaky circus going on and I better better avoid those people. It's annoying, it's distracting, it's concerning. However, Paul and Silas have been in much worse situations, worked under much more difficult circumstances and they keep focused and they do not quit. The lesson here is this. The message that is inside of you, the authority that you possess, makes a difference in people's lives. It makes a difference. Your enemy might tell you that it doesn't, but people depend on you. They depend on your love. They depend on your encouragement. They depend on your friendship. They depend on the authority that you have. Your life, your authority, your ministry changes climate. And because of that, it causes powers of darkness to be angry because headquarters in dark places rise up and say something has to be done about that person. When we are who we are meant to be, when we exercise the authority that we are to exercise, powers of darkness respond and react to that. When you were worshiping this morning, it made hell mad. Just keep that in mind. I'm going to come back to that in a second. An example. You can have a very quiet 
private day. The phone doesn't ring. The doorbell doesn't sound. The house is silent. But at some point, you decide you want to pray. It changes dramatically. The phone comes to life. The doorbell rings incessantly. The dishwasher explodes. Neighbors start to fight. You get a headache. You start thinking of one of a thousand things that have to be done but that aren't done. And it's only because you're treading on and making advances in enemy territory. You elicit a response. Do you know what I'm talking about? Okay, you know that. As a church, we will have a great Sunday. We'll take the flag and we'll move it into enemy territory. Quite a, quite a few steps in and, and, and then things start to happen. All of a sudden, someone feels neglected while another states that they've been overworked. And then, then it gets very interesting as our enemy attempts to undo what's been done and push the flag back to where it was pre-Sunday. People quite often say, do you take Monday off? I said, no, I'm way too grumpy on Monday to stay at home. I, I need to be paid for what I do on Monday. <laughs> I'm fighting to keep the ground. This is true of what we're doing here today. We, we have tread on enemy territory. I just remembered what we were supposed to pray for. There are so many of our people who have sickness. They're flu and colds. and So we'll pray for that by the, by the end. But it, I told you it would come, right? Um, as a church, uh, what we're doing here, we tread on enemy territory and enemy powers feel that they have to react. They have to respond in the hopes of keeping us dispassionate tired, in a state of disunity and disarray, so that we cannot reach the potential that God has given to us. We continue in the text, verse 18. This went on day after day, until Paul got so exasperated that he turned and said to the demon within her, I command you in, this, in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her, and instantly it left her. As I read and reread this passage, I see that Paul sees the girl for the first time and he has mercy on her. He, he realizes that God has a timetable and, and this isn't her moment. This isn't her time of release. He sees that she's tormented by both people and spiritual taskmasters, slave masters, and, and he has mercy on the girl. He extends grace towards her and, and, and most likely even prays for her. However, the ugly show that accompanies their work every day becomes exasperating. In a shrill, horrifying scream, this girl is winning Paul and his team a homely reputation in the city. The text says that this went on day after day after day. The war on Paul's last nerve, and finally Paul had enough. Not enough of the the young girl, but of the spirit that was working on her and working through her. And he's exasperated. It, it, it's gone on for too long. Mercy has evaporated. Grace is gone. And exasperation is here and is active. And it's pushing for a solution. He walks over to the girl's location and he speaks to the demon. 
that's operating within her with a voice that has the authority of heaven. And he demands with the expectation that there will be an immediate and recognizable result in the powerful, in the mighty name of Jesus. You evil, tormenting, lying spirit that's found residence in this young woman. You are now homeless. You can't live here anymore. You're being expelled, and you are now without a voice. Leave her and leave her alone right now. I remind you that we do not fight against people. We do not fight, Paul says, against flesh and blood. We battle enemy spirits that are commanded and directed by territorial spiritual governments seated in high places. Paul wasn't mad at the girl. Paul was angry and speaking to the spirit that was harassing, controlling, destroying that young woman. The text says that instantly the screaming stopped. Instantly the ability to foretell people's future came to an end. The twice-enslaved girl was free from her tormentors. The, The climate for her had changed instantly. She had things that she had never had before. She suddenly had peace that ruled over her head and her heart. She she suddenly was full of joy. There was a hope in her, a great hope for her future. She was no longer a slave. A spiritual battering battering ram had come through her prison cell, and she was no longer in jail. She was free. She, She had freedom that she'd never experienced before. The climate for that young lady had changed and changed instantly. I love transformation stories. We have them here in this room. People who were in a prison but are now free. Uh, People who lived in darkness and fear and now live in light and boldness. People who were slaves to addiction but now they're not even tempted by the things that used to tear their life apart. Transformation stories make me very happy. And I am surprised in a way that they don't make everyone happy. But that's one way you can determine the spirit that's in charge of someone. If they don't get happy, if they don't get excited when people get free, they are not working for the kingdom of God because that's what God's all about. Listen to what it says in in Luke's account here. Her masters, hopes of wealth, were now shattered, and so they grabbed Paul and Silas and they dragged them before the authorities at the marketplace. The whole city is in an uproar because of these Jews, they shouted to the city officials. They are teaching customs that are illegal for us Romans to practice. All of a sudden it gets pretty ugly. It gets kind of racist. Influential masters who were making big money every day off the abilities of that girl through the power of an evil spirit. Their, their hopes of becoming multi-millionaires were blown to smithereens by what Paul had done. And they weren't happy at all about it. 
And so they're going to respond to the ones who had taken their multi-million dollar dream away. You see, when you mess with power, when you mess with profit centers that have their roots in dark places of evil, you can guarantee that trouble is on its way. And I can hear people saying, well, I'm not going there then. But that's what you were called to do. That's, that's who, if you make the kid who sells illicit drugs in your neighborhood your person, if you find a sex trade worker who makes big bucks for his or her master and make them your person, make them the target of God's love, of God's transforming grace, you have messed with someone's power, you have interrupted someone's profit-making ability, and you can guarantee that trouble is on its way to your address, guaranteed. We're never bored. We're on an adventure. We're fighting kingdoms. You see, when we come together here in this room week by week, it's not a social club. It's not a, a time for religious people to gather and do re the religious things that religious people do. We are here on a mission. We are here to save and rescue lives. We are here to make a difference. We are tearing down prison walls. We are wreaking havoc in unseen realms of darkness. We are bringing hope to people. When we come here, it's with purpose. When that happens, know that social media and the press and slave tra traders are going to be taking all, talking all sorts of smack about you and about me and about our church. I hope that you know that everything you read on Facebook isn't true. I hope that you understand that everything you hear in the news probably has a different perspective. Answer me this. Go to the internet and search any leader of any ministry that's making movement and shifting the climates in the places that they serve, and you will find a couple of things. You'll find their website with a description of who they are and what they do, and then you'll find a number of sites that call them cult leaders and liars and con men and heretics. And the part that makes me crazy is that many of those are manned by people who think they're Christians. My pastor, a great man of faith and authority, has two sites that are his own and then multiple sites that stand and criticize who he is and what he does. And most of them don't even know the strength of, don't even have the strength of character to reveal who they are or where they live. Almost always they have not sat down with him as is required in the scriptures to talk with him and discover who he is and what he believes. They just put smack up about him. Now go back to that same internet and search the names of evil people who run drug cartels or slave trading routes or pornography sites and tell me how many people are writing their case on the internet, calling them out by name and calling for their work to be brought down to ignominious defeat. I'll save you a lot of time. There's not very many of them. Drives me crazy. 
Paul and his team change the climate in one woman's life, and the city goes nuts. These Jews are ruining everything. They brought chaos to our quiet little town. They, they're heretics. They're bringing about the downfall of our religious structures and our culture, and the fabric of our nation is being destroyed. Something has to be done. Rumors and and anger quickly escalate to a mob mentality. And the next thing we know, Paul and Silas are in custody. And before any hearing, before any trial is held, they are stripped down and they are beaten with wooden rods. It says they're severely beaten and thrown into prison. No due process. No fact-finding. Just taken off the street. Stripped and beaten. And then the jailer is told that these two are security risks. They take these men and place them where they cannot be rescued. A place so dark, so deep, that they can't hope to escape. Take them to a prison. The order is so clear and so vehement that the warden takes them past the holding cells, past the section that holds prisoners about to be released on parole. He, the, the, the two men are marched past the, the medium security cells and past the maximum security cells, and they're taken to the inner dungeon. It's what the scripture says. I know we're near October 30th. 31st, and there's a bit of a romance with inner dungeon. But there's nothing pretty about it. And that's not enough. They're put into a place where their feet are chained to stalks that are fastened to the wall. It's ensured that they're not only captured, but the hope is broken of them ever seeing the light of day, of day again. Two, two preachers, two, two men who we're doing nothing but setting people free, and they're put in the maximum security area where the worst of the worst are generally kept. Imagine Debbie and I being arrested and described as security risks and taken and put, sequestered, held in the most secure facility that the city or the the nation has to offer. For, for what purpose? I, I'm the guy whose keys were in the fridge. I, oh. <laughs> That's so important, and you need to hear it. Darkness works on an economy of fear. Darkness works on an economy of fear. The way that it keeps its captives in line is by threats and extortion and perpetuating a constant state of fear. It comes constantly, so much so that it's the hope of darkness to keep you off balance and not give you the time to ferret out what is true and what isn't true. The word gives us an insight into who heads this dark kingdom. He, he's called a liar. He's called the accuser of this, our family. He's described as a defeated foe. That while he may have greater strength than we do in the natural, he's a powerless victim just at the name, the mention of the name of Jesus. The message is clear. The powers of darkness hold no fear for the follower of Jesus. We understand that darkness only succeeds, only advances as fear is maintained. 
Fear has no place in us. He has not given you the spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and a sound mind. Please see who it is that's in fear in this story. It's the enemy. It's the enemy who takes these two men and attempts to silence them, discourage them, break them, lock them, these two preachers up, because they can do him great harm. And Peter and Silas are not at all in fear. They, they were on their way to the place of prayer to cause chaos in the unseen realm. When their trip was interrupted, they decide to initiate a prayer meeting in a new location. They start up a prayer and a worship time in their new digs in the inner dungeon. Around midnight, says the text, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening and suddenly there was this massive earthquake and the prison was shaken to its foundations and all the doors immediately flew open and the chains of every prisoner fell off and the jailer woke up to see the prison door, doors wide open and he assumed that prisoners had escaped and so he drew the sword to kill himself. We could spend a lot of time just on that paragraph. It's midnight, and they are filling and, and they are filling the security sector of the prison with songs of praises to God, and they pray prayers that are designed to mess with the kingdom of darkness. It wasn't a show, it wasn't a crusade, it wasn't a concert. It was what they did every day in every circumstance. They stood and they called on the name of the Lord their God, and they ushered in the presence of God. And when you know, when, when you don't know what to do, call out on the name of God. Bring the presence of the Holy Spirit into the situation. There are three audiences that are observing, listening, and watching these two men. There, there's God who's hearing the love and the devotion of his children, and his heart is moved, and he's about to respond in a powerful way. And then there are the forces of evil that are hearing, and they're starting to get worried. Oh, no, we've, we thought we'd shut this down. The plan is to keep them silent, to isolate them in the deepest part of the prison, to make them ineffective and keep them from influencing and changing life. But we feel, we know something is happening, something's bubbling as they're, they're singing. Who sings? Who prays when they've been beaten and thrown into prison for no good reason? But the third audience is, is all the rest of the prisoners beyond Paul and Silas who are listening to all that's going on. They've never heard, never seen anything like this. But they're, they're also witnessing a change to the climate inside the prison. It's been a dark, dank, fear-filled, hopeless place. But as they sing, as they pray, something's taking place. They're hearing the voices of two men that have been falsely accused and beaten. And they're not cursing and they're not complaining. They're singing. They're worshiping. How can this be? What is it that they have that I don't have? Where does this joy, where does this hope come from when you've been treated so poor, poorly and put away in a prison of hopelessness? Why are they that way? And suddenly, I love the suddenlies of Scripture, suddenly an earthquake. 
Now, to the unbelieving soul, this is a coincidence. Prayer and singing is going on before an earthquake. But to those that were in the prison that night, there wasn't a believer in coincidence found anywhere there. Because they had seen earthquakes before. They had heard about earthquakes before, but they'd never heard or seen an earthquake like this one. You see, it didn't destroy the prison. It came and it shook the prison to its very foundations, but it opened every prison door. And every chain came off every prisoner. That's a pretty unique earthquake. Not not every earthquake is that talented, has that kind of ability. The the warden arrives post-quake and sees that the doors are all open and and, and they're, they're wide, and he assumes, he assumes that each and every prisoner has escaped. His worry is that Roman authorities will hold him responsible for the release of these prisoners and for the escape of these two men that had been deemed as security risks just hours earlier. And his heart, motivated by fear, says that the only way out of this mess is to take his own life by suicide. Suicide is a lie of the enemy. It is not the answer to any problem. It's not the solution to any circumstance. It is the response to a lie that says there is no hope. Hear me today. With Jesus, there's always hope. There's a hope for everyone in this room. We are fighting for spiritual safety and security of people who are with us this morning. There is hope. Hold on. Hope is here. Hope knows your name. Hope loves your story. Hope sees that you have a future. There is great hope in this room. You don't know who comes into this room Sunday after Sunday and the fears and the lies that are trying to eradicate them. People, people like you and like me who, who know how to usher in the presence of God into a room like we did today, th- those people can change climates. Those people make a difference. You, I said we were coming back to this, and I, I'm not saying this to, to upset or, or injure anybody, but you know that I'm a, I'm a passionate worshiper. I lift my hands, I lift my voice, I, I, sometimes people say it's kind of entertaining to watch me, but I'm standing there and I'm, I'm breaking through. I'm a passionate worshiper. I, I, I bang walls. I sing with might because I'm fighting for an atmosphere of faith, an atmosphere of hope. Because into this room each and every week come people who have bet their life on the hope that something here will change for them. Every week that happens. As a worshiper, I stand at the front because I don't want to be discouraged by the folks who, who stand there and look like they're being tortured by the music or bored or, 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 or um, I've seen this once or twice too. I 
I stand at the front to encourage those who are pressing forward and working to move us to new places. My actions, my participation is telling worship leaders, keep going, don't stop. You're making headway. We're saving lives. We're making a difference. Keep going. And I'm not judging. I, I, I know that some of you have been brought up in very conservative traditions and that some of you don't see yourselves as people who are given away to expressions of emotion. I, I get that. I was raised that way. I, I went to church all my life and I never remember seeing my parents raise their hands. My wife was raised that way only even more conservatively. But we are warriors when we're worshiping. We, we are punching holes in prison walls, trying to make breakthrough for the people who've come, betting their life that there's hope in this place. So you can stand there and endure, but I would prefer that you would worship with me, that you'd welcome the presence of God into this house and, to, and, and that the climate would be changed and that people can be released from their prisons by our worship. In every season, there's at least one song that resonates that brings about atmospheric change, one song that gives hope to, to a prisoner that walks into this house. I think you say might be that one for coming up. Catherine, you did it fabulously. What's the name of the girl who sings that? Lauren Daigle. Lauren Daigle. Let me just go take a side rabbit trip here. Lauren Daigle has this voice that sounds like Adele. Okay? And uh, she, she's a great worshiper. And she was on, I got a couple of people sent me um, Lauren Daigle clip this week. She was on Ellen. And you can just count that the Christians are going to be furious about that. <laughs> but she's, she, she, I've gone too far. Okay. Um, last season, last season, people would come to me and say that the song that we sing right now that keeps me going is this one. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I'm a child of God. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I'm a child of God. And, and, and the one that I hear people talking about and giving them hope right now is, I'm chosen, not forsaken. I am who you say I am. You are for me, not against me. I am who you say I am. I am who you say I am. Every week, at least, someone finds hope. Someone hears the voice of God when we sing those words, and they have an impartation of strength and of hope to hold on. Worship leaders, I want you to hear me. You know how to alter the climate. Don't stop. You're making a difference. You're rescuing people before anything happens in this house. And I'm saying to worshipers, don't worry about what people think of you. Follow the instruction of Scripture. Get your hands up. Raise your voice. Battle for climate change. Declare the power of God every time we get together. You're a furnace planted in a cold spot in the church to bring the heat up. We move on to the text, verse 28. But Paul shouted to them, Stop! Don't, to the jailer, Don't stop. Don't kill yourself. We're all here. Paul stops the jailer from committing suicide. We're, we're all present. We're all accounted for. We're, nobody has escaped. Not one person has left the building. This is a God thing. This isn't a natural disaster. Don't be afraid for your life. There's hope for you too, sir. They've just moved the, the revival into the 
inner dungeon. When, when the climate changes, everything changes. Get ready, people. Change is on the way to you. The jailer knew that these men were different from the men that usually were under his care. They were not hard. They were not rebellious. They were not breathing out threats to anyone that crossed their path. They were great representations of who God is and what God is like. And so warden, so the warden didn't need a sermon. He had seen it from the moment that they were delivered to the prison. And he runs to where Paul is and he says, just tell me how I get to where you are. Just tell me how to know God. The, the, the response was clear. It was plain. Not mixed up with religious jargon or requirements. No requests to, to give up this or quit that. Don't go there or belong to those people. Just believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's simple. Believe. Believe. You will be changed by the power of God and by, by that change in your life, your family will be changed. Change will come to your house and it will change everything. The word is believe. Can I just suggest that you watch your vocabulary? I, I, I don't mean the four-letter words. That's up to you. But but life-choking, wall-building words of doubt and unbelief. Don't let them come out of your mouth. Don't, don't say, I can't. It will never happen. It's impossible. But replace those words with the key word that changes circumstances. Believe. I believe. With God, nothing is impossible. I When someone tells the doctors, tells me that the doctors say that their situation isn't going to get better, it's going to get worse. I sit and I feel all that they're going through, but I, I come to this place, but I believe that nothing's impossible with God. I believe that God can change everything. My vocabulary changes my outlook. My vocabulary changes my expectation. My vocabulary makes me a beacon of hope in a night of somebody's hopelessness. I can't afford for the health and safety of other people. I can't afford to say, I can't, I won't, it can't be done. A few weeks ago, I found this statement, darkness is just a place where believers in the light have not yet gotten to. I'm authorized by God himself, as are you, to bring light to every dark situation, every dark place in this city, and we're going to start with people in prisons here today. Believe. I have about four more pages of notes, but we're going to save that for another time because I, I really believe that that we've covered what we need to cover today. I, I never do that. Debbie's standing there. Miracles still do happen. <laughs> He's not going to keep us here till 1230 with the other four pages. David, come. Believe. Believe. Don't ever question the authority that you carry or the power that you have to, to shift atmosphere.
One of my, one of my dear friends, Janelle Thomas, she's just, just a little thing. She's, she's a beautiful lady. She, she's, I would think, in her 70s, mid to late 70s. I have had the privilege of watching her. She's the one who made me aware of this. She, she, she was a nurse, and in her latter years was a, a nurse that trained other nurses. And so a student nurse would go into a hospital room and wouldn't get the needle quite in right or, or wouldn't, wouldn't know what to say or how to handle a difficult situation. And before you knew anything, it had escalated into something ugly where there was raised voices and, and angers that were flaring and Janelle Thomas would just walk in and like oil on the waters would just bring peace. And I'd say to her, Janelle, I, I, was, I would be visiting a hospital and, and I'd be talking to her and all of a sudden she'd be called and I'd watch her fly down the hall and I'd just sort of follow her and watch what was going on. And, and she'd take out the anger. She'd... She'd shift the atmosphere. And I'd say, Janelle, how, how do you do that? How do you make that happen? And she said, I just, I just realize, I understand that I carry the authority of Jesus. I don't have to scream. I don't have to yell. I don't have to demand. I just walk in, and in the name of Jesus, I say, okay, everything that's going wrong here, settle down right now. We're going to look after it all. Debbie and I have been in some situations, ugly situations. I remember one Sunday, I was praying with somebody, and Debbie's kept pulling me over, come here, come here, I need your help, and I wasn't getting there fast enough, and she was getting a little exasperated, to use a scriptural word, exasperated with me. And, and, I, and I went to the place where she was, and there was this manifestation of evil there was accusation there was there was oh, it was ugly it was it, you just felt like ooh i need to go take a shower this is this is gross and she looked at me and she, debbie looked at me and she said what what do we do now and i said we lift up the name of jesus we start singing and we fill this room with the power and the presence of God. And as we did that, the noise, the ugliness, the mess just sort of sunk to the bottom. You're an atmosphere changer. You're a person who breaks prison walls so that slave girls, slave women, slave boys, slave men can be set free. That's the authority that sits on you. That's a call. If that's a mission that you receive, would you just stand where you are right now? Would you just stand where you are? If, that's, if you say, listen, I'm up for that.